0: You can't worry about insurance. You're in the hospital. Things are going to cost what they're going to cost. You know, they're running MRIs and CAT scans and blood work and all this stuff. And you know, your whole time in your brain, you're like, cha-ching, cha-ching. Every time they bring a little sponge in or something, you're like, oh my God, is that going to cost me $500? It is what it is. You can't worry about it because there's nothing you can do. You just want them to get better and get the very best care. Welcome to Aging in Style, the podcast dedicated to celebrating aging and what it takes to do it well. I'm Lori Williams. I'm a certified senior advisor and senior housing expert. In each episode, you'll learn stories of older adults who are thriving in their 70s, 80s, 90s, and in some cases, in their hundreds. Whether you're an older adult or the child of an older adult, this podcast is filled with insightful resources, organizations that are doing incredible work, and stories that will inspire you to volunteer, learn, and who knows, maybe even skydive in your golden years. Hi, welcome to today's episode of Aging in Style. Today we are talking about five tips when a loved one is in ICU, Intensive Care Unit. This is Came to me when I was sitting in ICU when my husband had a stroke. And I shared that story a couple episodes before about a stroke, signs to look for, kind of my whole story so far with my husband and the stroke that he had. But I had never thought about covering ICU because honestly, I had never been in an ICU except for 30 something years ago when my father was in ICU. But at that time, you know, I wasn't the person. Making the decisions, the person in charge. And, you know, I have to say, while I sat in ICU with my husband, there were many times that I thought, I don't want to be the adult here. I wish I didn't have to be the one making these decisions. But as I sat there, I thought this would be really good information to share with other people on, um, you know, what it's like to be the caregiver basically for someone who is in ICU. And, you know, as I sat there, I made notes on my phone. I just typed in different things of how I was feeling. And I'm going to share those with you today, along with five tips that I think are are really important to know if you're ever, and I hope you're not, but if you are ever in a situation where a loved one is in ICU. So my husband had a stroke Christmas Day, but he was in the ICU for three days before he was then transferred to a hospital bed. But during the time in ICU, these are some of my thoughts that I wrote down. ICU is scary, it's loud, there's alarms dinging constantly, doors are slamming, it's a roller coaster, just emotionally being there because your loved one, you may think they're stable in a moment, and then they're not stable. I mean, the whole reason they're in ICU, but it was just, you know, one moment to the next, we thought, okay, he's fine, we're going to be moved to a regular room, and then had another stroke, I believe I see you as like that, you know, just a roller coaster of emotions, of diagnoses, of things just going on. And you have absolutely zero control over what's happening. Nurses and staff are in and out of the room constantly checking on them. So, I mean, it's just a very stressful feeling because you're so stressed and worried for your loved one. The environment itself, you know, there's no windows, it just, you know, leads to feeling highly anxious and stressed as well, you don't know, you know what's going on in the world. You're sort of like in this cocoon of the ICU and time kind of stops. You know, The only way I can think to say it, it just kind of stops and you're just living sort of moment to moment. So the five things that I wrote down that I really feel are important and are the takeaways from this podcast on um, you know, caring for a loved one in ICU are number one, you have to be an advocate for your loved one. And in being an advocate, you're trying to remember everything the doctors and the nurses are telling you, and it's they're throwing terminology at you that you you don't know. I mean, I knew a lot of it, but still, I didn't know a lot of things that came with the stroke and with medications and with Things that they were seeing. And so I, you know, I was looking up things on my phone. I was writing down what they told me. And then I was also Googling, which is not always the best thing to do, but, you know, just what certain things meant, just so I knew what was going on. That is the big thing is write things down because you're so emotional and you're not really retaining information like you normally would be. But when you're in a high level of stress, it's just, it's, it's hard to really focus. So I didn't have a pen and paper. And because, of course, you know, I went to the emergency room and, you know, he was it to this other hospital and I just, you know, drove over there. I didn't even think to grab a pen and paper or anything. So I did have my phone and I did have my charger, thank God. But um, I was just in the notes section of my phone. I just was writing things down as they told me things or typing them in. Any you know terminology, tests they're doing, medications, anything they told you, I, I would write it down. So that's, I, that's my big tip for you. Just write things down because you are going to forget when they leave the room. One of the doctors actually let me take pictures of his MRI so I could see where the areas of his stroke were. I'm not sure he was supposed to do that because he did tell the nurse to look away. <laughs> kind of like, oh, this never happened. Don't want to get anyone in trouble, but that is what you know. I was able to take pictures, which was good for me to kind of see that result and where his where his stroke had happened and kind of it helped me kind of understand what was going on. Also, in being an advocate, ask questions. You know, you can question the doctors, you can question the nurses, you know, ask them. If you don't understand something, ask the questions so that you'll understand better. Number two on tips is know your loved ones' wishes. So you are making life and death decisions for your loved one, and in many cases when they're in ICU. Early on, my husband was, well, he was conscious the whole time, but he could not answer. You know, he could not relay, like, did he want the clot-busting drug for the stroke? He could not answer that. I don't know if he wasn't understanding or if it was just the communication, whatever it was. I had to make that decision, and they tell you, This is what could go wrong. I I asked all the questions. Like, if we don't do it, what's going to happen? If we do it, what could possibly happen? If it were your, I mean, I asked the doctor this. If it was your family member, would you give them the medication? It's just so hard. I can't even, I never thought I'd be in that position, you know? But it's so hard making those decisions because, one, you're so emotional. You're in shock, high stress, and you're making a decision for someone else about their life. So Mark and I had had discussions. We've been married 33 years. So we had pretty much talked about everything. You know, I never had asked him, if you had a stroke, would you want the clot buster drug? And I never asked him that. But you know, we've had those discussions about what we would want. And I, I know I wanted to do everything, everything possible for him that would give him the best shot at 100% recovery. So if you haven't already had have those, those conversations, if it's for an older family member, make sure that you know their wishes and that you know you or someone in your family you have power of attorney and you can make these types of decisions for them. Number 3, and this is huge, support of family and friends. We live in the Dallas area and our family consists of just my husband, myself and our two kids. That's all that we have in this area. So it was really important that we have that support, even if it was just coming through text messages or social media. And I did pretty quickly. I went to Facebook because we have family. Mark and I both have family all over the country. So he has family in Arizona and California. Um, I have family in Louisiana and Mississippi, and we have friends everywhere. So I wanted everyone to know what was happening and One, you're in ICU, so you're not going to have a whole lot of phone conversations while you're in there, but you don't want to be on the phone constantly telling the story over and over. So for me, I put it on social media, on Facebook, and then I did updates as things changed so that everyone knew what was going on. In doing that, it allowed me to keep everyone up to date with so many people were saying prayers for Mark. And we're praying people, so that, w- that meant a lot to me, and that lifted me up and made me feel better that I knew so many of our friends and family were praying for Mark, for his recovery, and for me to stay strong. So to me, that was, that was vital to have um, friends and family praying for us. Also, we had friends, and so many people were asking me, what can we do? And I will tell you, I just remember at one point sitting there, and my brain was blank. I don't know. And I think that's how a lot of people feel. And and that's a takeaway for me, because whenever I've had a friend in crisis, I always say, what can I do? Honestly, when you're in the position, you don't know. You don't know what they can do. And my mind was, as I said, just like this complete blank. And I was just like, just pray. Just pray for us. I mean, that's all I could think. And one of my neighbors, who I absolutely adore, she's, I mean, they're awesome friends. They're like family to us. She did come up like the third day. It was the third day in ICU. It all kind of runs together. But she called me and she said, you need to take a break. I'm going to come up. And she came up and she sat in ICU with Mark so I could come home and take a shower and you know feel human again. But you know what? Count on your friends and family on their support. And take away, if you're, if you know someone in crisis, don't say, what can I do? (laughs) And if they don't answer, it's because they literally, like I said, they don't know. But things that people did for us were one of the awesome sweet ladies who works with me, we call her Sweet Sarah. She started a meal train for us because this was over the Christmas holidays, right? So my two kids were home. My youngest was 19 at the time. she just turned 20 and uh, my oldest is 26, but they were home And they were taking care of our dogs. Thank God we, you know, they were here to do that. But she started a meal train. And for a month, we had hot meals delivered to us, meals that were, you know, with instructions to heat up or people sent like DoorDash gift cards and Uber and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, there was always food and I didn't have to think about that and my brother and sister-in-law came in from mississippi and stayed a few days so again you know there was always food in the house so i didn't have to to worry that oh my gosh i have guests in my house i'm not home that i have no food so that was taken care of which was huge and i think i think that's just your, the best way to support someone who is going through something like this to to offer prayer to bring them a meal to drop off a card. I mean, just a a card meant everything to me. And I would read them to Mark. I would take them to him and read them to him. A text. I had a lot of people who would text me and say, no need to respond. I just want you to know that I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. That meant so much to us. Count on the support of your family and friends. Self-care is number four. Take care of yourself. And that was a really hard thing because You know, you're not really thinking about yourself and your own needs when you're sitting there in ICU watching the person you love most, watching, you know, all these things happen to them. So one thing that I would do, I would just feel pretty much overwhelmed at some point. So I would just tell the nurse, I'm just going for a walk. And this hospital where he was, it just had this long area, like a big, like a long corridor. And I would just go, I mean, it'd be like two, three in the morning. And I would just go walk it. I guess just moving my body, change of of a view, you know, just to be out, not in this this room under this enormous stress, just to get out and just walk up and down. I would just pace those halls and just pray. Sometimes I'd be talking to my brother or my kids, and I would just be out there just walking and walking. A lot of times just just being just quiet, like in meditation. It was really, really cold, and there was a parking garage kind of attached there, and I would just open the door and stand there in this bitter cold. It would just kind of, I don't know, sort of like wake me up to get the fresh air and the fresh cold air. I mean, because when you're in that situation, your emotions are just all over the place. You're, you're scared, you're sad, you're you know anxious, you're angry that, oh my gosh, how why would this happen? Especially, like I can give my example is that Mark had his first stroke on Christmas night, when we got to the hospital, he was walking and, you know, they were like, okay, it was a minor stroke. Well, then the next day he has major strokes along with it. So it was kind of like, okay, I thought we had this plan, right? It's it's this, we get to ICU and the next day now it's this. It is so much worse. So, you know, that's kind of what I say about being the roller coaster, but just... You you can't get lost in the anger and all those emotions. You just have to, you know, for me, I just kept thinking, you cannot have a breakdown. (laughs) You have to stay strong and you have to make these decisions and get Mark through this, get your kids through this. I'll stay whole and intact as a family and we've got to keep it together. But you do have to think about self-care for yourself. You need to think about eating. And I will tell you, eating was the last thing on my mind. I just... I mean, I felt sick to my stomach. So I just, I didn't want to eat anything. So it was really hard. I remember there was nothing open. It was like two in the morning and I found like this vending machine. I had string cheese and some almonds. And I think that was the first thing I'd eaten in like two days. But just try to eat and try to, you know, try to keep yourself healthy because you don't want to get sick on top of everything else. The other thing is, you know, you can't change the past. And when you're sitting at someone that you love sitting next to their hospital bed, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, all the would've, could've, should'ves, you know, like, oh my gosh, his blood pressure had been high for two weeks before this. And he'd gone to the doctor, gotten some medication, but it hadn't gone down enough. And he called the day before Christmas Eve and had an appointment for the next week but you know, I was sitting there thinking, why didn't I just push that, you know, his blood pressure's high? Why didn't I just push that we just go to a walk-in urgent care place, do something, go to the hospital? You can't beat yourself up. You don't know. I mean, I didn't think he was going to have a stroke. I mean, yeah, I was worried that his blood pressure was high, but I didn't, you know, we don't think these awful things are going to happen, right? So, you you can't beat yourself up. You can't think about what could have been. You just have to move forward. The other thing for me was I was so worried about insurance because I know I hear the stories all the time that a crisis, something like this happens and families are just, you know, even with good insurance, which we have good insurance. But even with good insurance, they don't pay for things. And so I was stressing about it. And I kept telling myself, there's nothing you can do. Stop stressing about it. There's nothing you can do. It's happened. He's been care It. I don't know what that's going to cost at the time. Now I know it's $35,000, which is insane. And yeah, insurance won't pay for it. That's a whole other story. But at the time, I didn't know how much it was or how much. I didn't think it was that much or if insurance would pay or not. But you can't worry about insurance. You're in the hospital. Things are going to cost what they're going to cost. You know, they're running MRIs and CAT scans and blood work and all this stuff. And you know, your whole time in your brain, you're like, cha-ching, cha-ching. Every time they bring, you know, a little sponge in or something, you're like, oh my God, is that going to cost me $500? It is what it is. You can't worry about it because there's nothing you can do. You just want them to get better and get the very best care. And number five of my tips it's also self-care, but it's, it's sleep. And you really need to get sleep. And it's the very best if it's in your own bed. I did not have a full night's sleep in my bed. I think it was like a week. I think it was a week or a week and a half. I can't remember now. It was a long time. But I remember that night that I actually slept in my bed a full night. When I woke up, I felt like a different person. Getting little catnaps, because that's all you're going to get in ICU. You're sitting in a really uncomfortable chair that I think it was supposed to recline, but I couldn't figure out how. So it was super uncomfortable. You know, you're stressed. And in the minute if you do kind of doze off, someone walks in the room, <laughs> they're doing tests or they turn lights on. And... You know, like, I would go home and shower and maybe lay down in my bed for 10, fifteen minutes, but it's like I couldn't I couldn't turn my brain off because you have this like, I don't know if it's just me, but I felt almost like I guess it was all the adrenaline. I felt like my whole body was buzzing. Like my head was buzzing and I felt fuzzy. and when I would come home and take a shower and eat a little something, I would feel better. But it wasn't until like that week or so later, when I actually was able to sleep a night in my bed that I felt like close to normal. So if you can get away and sleep um that's the best and you know if you have family like like i said i didn't i didn't want my kids are young adults and they could one of them could have come and sat with him but things were changing so quickly that i really didn't want to put that on them it was later once he was stable and in a regular hospital room that my son started coming up at night and i would go home and sleep but you know if you have other family members someone who could sit there through the night for you or or just give you some time to go and rest i would highly advise that you do that and get sleep which is best if you sleep in your own bed so those are my five tips for when a loved one is in icu you know one like i said be the advocate for your loved one you're making those decisions number two know what their wishes are ahead of time three support of your family and friends are vital four self-care taking care of yourself even though it's like it is i mean i get it when you're in this situation the last thought you have is on yourself it it really is but you have to try and turn that around and do some things to care for yourself and number 5 is sleep get some good sleep in your bed that's what i have for you today my next episode i am going to be sharing with you about being an advocate for your loved one when they're in the hospital I've learned so much on this journey, which we are about five weeks into at this point. A lot of things that are very eye opening for me. And as we've been going through this journey, I have made notes of things that, you know, a lot of times it's just, I I do think as I'm in these situations, I think about my elderly clients that I work with. And I think, oh my gosh, you know, how would they have dealt with this? And it just is, like I said, very eye opening for me. And I feel like, when you know, I try to find a positive, but the positive out of this is that I feel like I am going to be so much better now, better equipped at my job because I have actually been where they are in ICU with a loved one, hospitalized, and, and I see where you know there are pitfalls. And I hope that through this, I'll be able to provide better guidance through some of these pitfalls. And that's what we'll be talking about next on the next podcast. Anyhow, well, I'm glad that y'all listened, and please share this with your friends and loved ones. And um, we will see you next week. Thank you for listening. Bye bye.